Welcome. This is Karen Motokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. I believe there are many ways to live life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.com howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. Creative entrepreneur Lisa Sonora Beam is a writer and painter who has spent 20 years using her work to help people tap into the healing and transformative powers of creative self-expression. Lisa is the author of The Creative Entrepreneur, a do-your-own visual guidebook for making business ideas real. Today, I'll talk to her about her journey as a successful entrepreneur and artist. Lisa, hello and welcome to my show. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to talk about, you know, we, we hear a lot about overnight success and about, you know, people really struggle with how can this be possible for me because they, they may only see life a certain way or see what's possible a certain way. And you have an interesting mix because you went and obtained an MBA and you also are an artist. So can you talk about that a bit? Mm. Well, I didn't get my MBA until later. I was in my late 30s when I went and got that degree. Mm-hmm. And that was after I was trained in a music conservatory. I started out uh, being a music and art therapist. So I went through a traditional um, art school background, if you will. And... Um, what I loved about being a music and art therapist is that it combined my passion for the arts and my passion for healing. So um, that's kind of where my journey began. And when I got my first degree, um, the thing I struggled with a lot was I realized pretty much immediately that working for other people on their schedules was not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
It was just, you know, there were things I wanted to do that um, in the United States, we have this ridiculous kind of two-week vacation thing if you're just starting out in your career. You know, after 40 years, maybe they give you three or four weeks off, but then people don't end up taking it because they're afraid. Um, So it's a very workaholic culture. Um, and I wanted time to explore the world, to do long meditation retreats, to take lots of workshops and trainings, which I love to teach as much as I love to take. And so I had to find what other opportunities might be there. And the thing about going to music school or art school is, um, there's almost a, negative association with trying to earn money from your art, Mm -hmm. Um, which is weird. You know, I always thought, well, that's weird. So what are we doing here? And, you you know, you're, you're investing all this money in your education and then what happens after it? You know, if you're a musician, there's only a certain few people that get picked to be in an orchestra. Um, you know, it's very competitive. So with everybody else, how are you, how are you creating your own path, your own career? And so, um, you know, a lot of the things, it was just a lot of trial and error and figuring things out myself. And it was really difficult because there weren't any resources for independent, uh, business owners, I guess entrepreneurs, you know, I remember even trying to get phone service or something. I mean, and it was, it was like, if you worked at home, it was considered the stigma. There weren't, you know, it was Mm -hmm. just weird. Um, So going to business school came later. Um, That was kind of a different story. I had, I had this idea to start a, um, social justice marketing and design firm and that was inspired by my love of nature and you know being a lifelong activist and seeing how um, those campaigns were really largely ineffective you know save the whatever people weren't really resonating with that and um, I thought wow Uh, since I left my psychotherapy gigs and ended up working in advertising Uh, which was kind of a leap and a longer story. But um, I thought, wow, what if all the chops I learned in advertising could be used for good? And so I went to a program that was called the Green MBA, and it focused on the triple bottom line of planet, people, and profit. And I was just very interested in learning how to apply um, kind of the do-gooder philosophy, but using the language of traditional business, um, so that's why I went to business school. It was, it was not about trying to get a corporate job, but I really wanted to learn the language of um, how, how to use those tools that companies and corporations use, but how to use them for good. You did this MBA to learn how to speak the language. And prior to that, what was your entrepreneurial business like? Were you successful? Were, um, were you able to support yourself on the work that you were doing? Always. Um, I always made a career for myself, you know, out of creating my own opportunities. So how I first resolved the two-week vacation dilemma was I started um, 
just working as a consultant or independent contractor um, so that my assignments were limited in scope and time. And what I started doing was just figuring out how to live my life um, around the things that were important to me. So if I wanted to go travel or um, take a sabbatical and live in an ashram and study meditation, I just figured out how much money I needed to do that, how long I would have to work to save up for it, and then I would have a contract that lasted that long. So sometimes it looked like working six months on and six months off. Mm -hmm. um, so that was kind of a creative solution before, um, before the internet, dare I say. This was a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then my consulting work always ended up with lots of freelance assignments. You know, it was just... Um, when you're doing good work, this is for anyone out there, if you're doing good work, um, no matter what you're doing, if you're solving problems for clients, if you're making their life easier, they're going to want to hire you full time, if not, you know, constantly be giving you assignments. So what I liked about that is that it's just like you can become indispensable to people um, and then you can sort of make your own terms around it as well. So my, my challenge was not getting hired, but just keeping maintaining contracts. And then um, that I believe in doing experiments as well. So if you're already booked up and indispensable, then you start raising your rates. And then you start having the courage to turn down work uh, that might not be perfectly resonant. But it took a lot, lot you know, that was years in the making and years in the pro uh, process. You know, I did lots of work just for the money. Mm -hmm. And there, there's nothing wrong with that. Of course we have to do that. Um, it's not, you know, it's almost seen like that's a bad thing to do. But I think many people in the workforce are doing that every single day. Yep. So, I mean, and it's really admirable. That takes a certain kind of energy and commitment and focus. And... Um, when you take the leap and start working for yourself, it's kind of like dues to pay. And then it, it, and it takes some trial and error to figure out, well, what are my ideal working conditions? Who do I love working with? How do I best serve people? So there's a lot of experimentation involved. So I call that that time period, you know, when you're first starting out with anything. I mean, whether it's being an entrepreneur or, um, you know, getting to your natural healthy weight, I call that period of is called traction, right? Where you're testing stuff out and you're doing things and you're trying to figure out what, what is it that you like to do? How long did that period take you? Hmm. Well, this is keeping in mind, there weren't any roadmaps or all these great resources that are on the internet now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I would say, you know, from age like 24, that's when I went out on my own and wasn't working for other people anymore. I mean, I was doing my little contract jobs. I actually had the opportunity to tour in a band. So I was a professional musician. Didn't pay a lot. So I had little things going on on the side to pay mm -hmm. my rent and supplement my income. Um, I, you know, and then it probably took four to five years of a lot of trial, again, with no resources. But, um, 
I was and I was teaching a lot of workshops in Chicago, but I remember um, I remember exactly when it was. I had a consulting gig that I was just dying to get out of, and by dying, I mean that very literally. It was so stressful, and I just felt like I was I'd rather kill myself than keep working there. It was I actually, you know. I remember talking to a friend of mine and he's like, well, let's see here. Are your, your, the options you're putting forth, kill yourself or quit this job. <laughs> <laughs> and he was a psychologist. It was hilarious. I'm like, yeah, when you put it that way. Um, and I had a workshop coming up like the next month that I was, I was teaching workshops at night and on the weekends, you know, around my other gigs. And I, I made this decision that, okay, killing myself isn't the option. I have to quit. And I have to quit now because I feel so desperate. And I knew there were some things out there on the horizon. But um, long story short, what happens, I gave my two-week notice. And then a few weeks later when that workshop happened, it was a, a long weekend workshop, I was sitting in the workshop feeling the excitement and joy and relief and miraculousness of the fact that in that weekend, I just earned what I earned in a month at that job I quit. Wow. And I felt like, okay, that's a sign from the universe that that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Now, I wish I could tell you that that happened every single month for the rest (laughs) of my life, (laughs) but it's more spiral. It's up and down. It's two steps forward, a step back, but it's a dance. And that's, that's what I would say. It's like, you have to be kind of comfortable going out on a limb and on the edge. Actually, I just said yes to an opportunity someone offered me, um, and I don't yet have the funds for it, but I know I want to do it. Mm-hmm. And so there's a decision point of like, I'm doing this hmm, now. How is this going to work? I'm not sure yet. Mm-hmm. And how, how will it work without going into debt for it, for example? Mm-hmm. And is, is that an important thing for you when you do stuff is how to do it without going into debt? Right now it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right now it is. Um, that's another experiment. It's, it's, you know, depend, different things are appropriate for different people at different times, but, um, I've been on a cash only experiment for almost four years now. Wow. And how does that feel to be on a cash only experiment? It's, it's, um, it's like taking a cold shower every day. (laughs) (laughs) That's not very enticing to our listeners. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's, well, that's why, you know, um, by cash only, I mean, I use debit cards and stuff, you know, I have Mm -hmm. to reserve hotels and rent cars, but yeah, people will say, how do you do that? How do you not have a credit card? Um, and that was just part of a process, I guess. Um, I, I think weight money, weight and money issues are so interrelated. So are creativity issues. It's all wherever we go, there we are. And I just felt like I was so unconscious with my consumption mm-hmm. and spending. And I wanted to be really just acutely aware of what was going on. And that was, um, that was something I'd thought about for a long time. And then I did it. And so far it's working out. I mean, it's like a way to live within your means. Mm -hmm. 
and a way to say, hey, if I want to do this, I have to generate cash flow, which means getting out there and selling, getting out there hustling. And um, I would say that doing your creative work, that is a blessing and opportunity. Um, and that also means you're selling your butt off. You know, you're not in business for yourself without doing marketing. Mm-hmm. But that's just, that's what, what business means. It means you are doing things to get paid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, you're making a difference. Uh, you're connecting with things people really need and value and ways you can help them. Um, but the, the hustle part, the business part, that, that's, a, that's usually about 50% of the gig. Mm-hmm. And when you when you go into this living cash where it's you can only rely on cash, doesn't it help your mind become more creative and resourceful instead of using the debt to as a kind of a crutch, oh I wanna do this, I'll go do it and I'll figure out a way later. It's I have mm-hmm. to figure it out now. Your back's kind of up against the wall, isn't it? Yeah, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because we think that unlimited resources make things easier. Um, but, you know, that old saw, necessity is the mother of invention. And in the creative process with my marketing and design clients, you have to put limits. You need a budget. You need a time frame. You need um, objectives. Those are all things that narrow down choices and narrow down options. And then actually you can do fantastic work within a little boundary area. Um, it's counterintuitive, um, but if we have, if we, we, we can use, learn to look at those limits as things that actually free us, not things that hold us back and limit us. And I'm not against at all using credit to travel or do workshops or do things that build your business. That is pretty much normally how it's done. Um, I did that for myself, building different businesses. Um, so it just depends on what your, what your own personal goals are, um, related to finance and then related to your business. But I think it may be for people to think about what are your values? What do you really value? And how do you put that to work for you? Mm -hmm. And And how do you? How do you frame that into your overall uh, short-term plan and long-range plan? Well, it, it comes down to values and I think boundaries, right? No matter what, it, I think there, there's always going to be, um, you know, we think that, oh, if we leave the corporate world and then go work for ourselves, we're going to have all this time, but then it's going to open up to, oh my gosh, there's all these different choices, right? And how do you get focused to do the work that you want to do? To, so that you can live in this, like you mentioned, live in the life that's important to you. And so it's it's kind of like, it's almost in a sense like a, the metaphor that comes to mind is that it's like you're walking a tightrope because even though there's lots of things out there, it's about making choices and moving forward. And, and I love how you talk about experimenting. You, you run mm-hmm. an experiment, therefore it's not permanent. Yeah, it's just like research or development um, that any any endeavor would have. Um, and you can do that for yourself. You can have your own R&D department. You can have your own marketing department. 
I'm actually doing a series of posts right now that I'm calling vulnerability experiments um, because putting your work into the world, facing the blank page mm-hmm. is a metaphor for life, whether it's an, an actual blank page you're making a book or designing something. Um, a, any new endeavor is a blank page even a big change of life, that's a blank page, you haven't done it before, makes us vulnerable. And so um, I have my own experiments going on in the background around that, but I thought, you know, this is really powerful. I think I'm just going to start sharing this with my audience and see what they're thinking. Because part of my, one of my vulnerable vulnerability experiments is reaching out and connecting uh, with other colleagues and just seeing, wow, I love what you're doing. I wonder how I can support you. And if you like what I'm doing, how can we support each other? Um, finding those circles of support and connection because creative entrepreneurship, being an artist, um, that can be very lonely and very isolating um, because there, you know, if it's your path, no one's done it before. So, um, I don't feel like there's any need to feel isolated and lonely, especially, uh, we have all these social networks and the internet. What if we used them to really connect? Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, connection, that's just something I'm playing with, working with and seeing, um, how that works. I'm inviting other people to experiment with me by connecting or doing the experiment with their own circles. And can you just explain to my listeners what defines a creative entrepreneur? Mm. Well, entrepreneur is the part of sales and marketing and making a living, making a sustainable living, hopefully, from what you're putting out there. The creative part is whatever you're putting out there. So it's not limited to the arts by any means. Um, I like how Seth Godin defines artist as, you know, someone with a passion making a difference for things they care about, something like that. And Mm -hmm. so it's not paintbrushes and pencils necessarily, but it's designing your life. That's incredibly creative. Um, Finding a way, uh, one of my favorite things uh, is supporting moms who want to have their own gigs so they can be near their kids so they don't have to put their kids in daycare Mm -hmm. if they don't want to. So a lot of women feel like it's either and choice. I either have to stay home and be a mom or I can work. Mm -hmm. Well, you can do both, you know, and that's one of those limitations too that I think, um, is very interesting for people to play with. Like I find that women who have kids are some of the people that get the most done. It just astonishes me. It's like, wow, I don't have children. Like, how are they doing that? Well, you learn how to multitask and get a lot done within the little windows you have, like nap time. Mm -hmm. It's like, talk about a productive hour. Mm So I've worked with a lot of women that are basically working in nap time and they're finding a way to make their business work within the time they have available. Um, 
and that goes back to the boundaries, right? Because they know, okay, I have nap time. I may have 90 minutes or 120 minutes. So hanging out on Facebook, is that going <laughs> to get me closer to the result that I want or creating whatever it is that I'm trying to create right now? They, they just, you've got to get it done, right? It's, yeah. Your back is against the wall, just like living on a cash-based system, your back's against the wall. So what am I going to do with my current situation? That's what it sounds mm -hmm. like to me. Mm-hmm. And um, when I wrote the Creative Entrepreneur book, I had my design and marketing company and it was really kind of at its peak of productivity um, in terms of it was growing by 20% a month. Wow. Uh, there was so much business. It was, you know, it's like when it rains, it pours sort of thing. I was also serving on a nonprofit board that was a volunteer position and I was putting on a conference that year. So it was about a 20 hour a week thing I was working on. Um, and then I got the offer to write the book and there was a three month deadline. So the first thing I had to do was say, um, wow, how am I going to fit this in? Because I can't squeeze in one more thing. Oh, and I was also teaching in a university, at an MBA program. <laughs> and I, it was, I wasn't, it was like, it was summer vacation and I hadn't yet accepted a contract for fall. So I just had to start thinking, what can I take off my plate to make room for the book? So I found an incredibly wonderful person to take over my board position who was thrilled to have the opportunity. I didn't accept teaching for that semester. And I took, uh, I didn't pursue any long-term contracts with my business. I just let it grow how it was growing and basically accepted things that were paying within 30 days and that my staff could handle. Um, and then I, wrote the book. I just woke up really early. I had a few hours before my work day began, my, you know, design work day, which was 8 or 9 a.m. Pacific time, usually 8 a.m. <laughs> um, and then so I would write like between 4, 5, 6, 7 a.m., and, and to get it done. Yeah, don't do you do you find that people, when they think of creative entrepreneurs, they don't think of that kind of discipline? Oh, discipline. That's such a great word. Um, I never felt like it was, well, there was some discipline, but mostly it was like, wow, this is the opportunity I've been waiting for for a lifetime. I can't mm -hmm. wait to get this in front of people. What kept me motivated when I suffered from writer's block and the doubts that come up when you face the blank page like who the hell am I who's gonna read this this you know I think I'd rather just go watch Oprah right now <laughs> I did a lot of tv watching while I was writing my book by the way that was just sort of my thing it was almost like I couldn't I had to really literally be on a different channel because my negative self-talk was going out of control like who are you to write a book um but in terms of discipline, um, I just thought about people like me who really struggled and took five or 10 years to ramp up without any resources. And I thought, God, I don't know if I can curse on here, but no. I, I just thought, you know, um, this is for them. I'm not writing this book for me. Mm -hmm. This is for people to shortcut all that anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, and half the book is really about creative process and having a healthy relationship with all those doubts and fears 
half of its business strategy and marketing ideas. Um, I didn't put anything heavy. I, I just talk a little bit about promotion in the book because I wanted it to be timeless because marketing is always changing. Um, but basically how you craft a promotion strategy is in there. That'll never change. Um, so it required discipline sometimes to sit in front of my computer and ring out a thousand words a day, which was my rough draft goal. Um, but, and then for that I had, I enlisted the help of other people. Um, when the going got tough and I was really getting close to my deadline, I had a friend who said, I'm going to call you every morning at 8 a.m. and see what your number was from the previous day's writing. Ooh. And that took him two seconds. He called me, what's your number? I'd tell him, and then I got off the phone. It wasn't like, oh, Dave, I was so tired yesterday, and I couldn't wait. It was just, it, and it was great to do this with a man because it was black and white and just give me the number. <laughs> wasn't any, I wasn't going to emotionally process with Dave, and I knew it because he's a hard ass, you know. <laughs> I, I gave him credit in the book as my whip cracker. <laughs> So get someone like Dave and, you know, discipline, um, discipline is when we are doing something we don't want to do, or we can't, we can't feel into the result that we're working for. Motivation flows from saying, I want that more than I want this. I want to have a book in front of people that makes a difference more than I want to say hmm, I think I'll find a way to sabotage my opportunity, miss my deadline, and, you know, feel like a failure. Mm -hmm. So the, it's like the motivation is kind of a pull, and it's a desire. It's mapped to something strong that wants to be created. Um, do I want to feel... Uh, energized and great well if i eat a cinnabon i'm not going to even though the lure the siren call of cinnabon is at every airport <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna feel like a maniac if i go there so sometimes i go there and i'm like you know i'm probably gonna feel like a maniac if i have a few days ahead of me where i can be in a coma of sugar and wheat then maybe that's all right <laughs> <laughs> but if I have to go get on stage or do something, you know, I think I'm going to go for the almonds. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah, the discipline and motivation, it can be a fine line. But I think the key is finding what inspires you, what feels like a really more life-giving choice, not the healthy choice. You know, healthy choice can seem so like a nurse shaking her finger at you. <laughs> That's not a healthy choice. Um, but what's the, what's the choice that's bringing me alive and is going to help me uh, reach the vision that's in front of me? And that's the benefit of having like a strategic plan and a roadmap that you create. The, the creative entrepreneur helps people create that plan and that roadmap that's very visual and very lovely to look at. To, I have mine sitting in front of me right now, mm -hmm. and I love looking at it. I love holding it and rereading, like, what the objective is, what's the purpose, what's your higher purpose. Um, my next book is about 
higher purpose. Mm-hmm. And um, having the creative mind um, needs beautiful, um, inspiring things to look at and touch and create, that's part of what helps us be motivated. And I love how you uh, differentiate between discipline and motivation. And it sounds like with the motivation, you also put together a structure, knowing that, okay, these hours when the world is kind of quiet, right? I'm in a right. Mm-hmm. And then having at the, towards the end, having a friend that would make a call. So you knew that day as you're writing and may want to go and find go to TV, you knew, oh, t- t- there's going to be a call and I'm going to need to give a number. Yeah. And how many days am I willing to say zero? Mm-hmm. Not that many. And, and, and there <laughs> wasn't going to be this emotional, oh, but today this happened and it was, here's the number. I mean, it's just sticking with the facts. So the motivation and the structure, it sounds like, really helped you with writing your book. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and I think that's an important thing, don't you think, for any entrepreneur is to have some sort of structure in place. Yeah, that's what, that's what the beauty is. So people talk about left brain, right brain. I have a chapter of that in the book. So how creatives are more oriented versus linear logical people that can just go by numbers. We need to have both. We want to use both. We just get comfortable. And by the way, I have plenty of clients who consider themselves, you know, I have like rocket scientists kind of people that love this work because they're like, wow, I never thought about it that way before. I never thought about it visually. Or I never thought about it like from an emotional standpoint. So we, we become acclimated to a certain way of being and problem solving. Usually those tactics are developed when we're really young and not even conscious of what we're doing. Or we shrink away from spreadsheets because someone told us we were bad at math. Well, you know what? Spreadsheets are great. It's addition and subtraction and multiplication. So guess what? You can be an expert at finance by second grade math, mm-hmm. you know? And um, don't tell any MBA people that. But <laughs> <laughs> That's what I realized in business school. I'm like, oh, my God, it's really not algebra. Mm-hmm. It's addition and subtraction and hopefully some multiplication. <laughs> um, so the, the numbers part, the spreadsheets and the plan, it's not meant to cause you stress. It's the opposite. It's meant to give you a container and a, a healthy, and you decide what the structure is. And then your creative self is free to be itself and play. Um, you know, it's like, uh, when you get a new dog, uh, a puppy, uh, I bring a new puppy home to make the puppy feel safe. You actually put it like cordon off a small area of the house or have a pen or a crate where it knows it can go. And it, and it just, that container helps it feel safe. Mm-hmm. If it's roaming around the whole house and whole yard, it's overwhelmed, it's undisciplined, it's feeling scared. So, um, you know, that's part of like puppy training. I learned like you just have a, a small contained space, even with actually I was adopting a older rescue dog and they said, here's what you'll need to do to get ready is you create a one room space for this animal. Cause this animal's actually been kept in a cage 
for however long, and that's what it's used to. Mm-hmm. So you give it that structure. And um, the idea of structure and rhythm comes out of a lot of behavioral research and methods um, that I, I learned in psychology a long time ago that are also continually evolving. But um, with kids who are um, developmentally disabled or have really severe emotional limitations, those limits and boundaries are what help them thrive. And the same is for our inner artist and for our inner potential business person um, and for the people around us, if they know the limit, like, okay, you're going to work in the morning, but not like forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, my book project had a deadline. It wasn't going to be like I was working like that forever. It was for three months. So, um, you know, having those structures and parameters really support us to do our best work. And I think that's a great myth of creativity to bust. Like the creative person has no plan, no structure. Um, I think that's the demise of many people that would be producing things. Yeah, maybe they're creative thinkers, but are their ideas getting out into the world in front of their audience in such a way that they're able to earn a sustainable living from it. Mm-hmm. And and so with these plans, I mean, when you first started out or in those four or five years as you're trying to figure out, okay, I want to make a living. I know I don't want to, um, you wanted to live your life to do, to do the things that were important to you. Did you know where you were going in those first four to five years or were you figuring out as you went along? I, I had a dream to be self-employed as an artist, and I had no idea how to get there. I had no idea if it was possible. I, in a way, thought, you know, I had a dream to be a published author. And in a way, um, it seemed like those things were kind of lucky things that happened to a few very special people. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a really different world now. Anyone can do that. The tools are there. The tools are incredibly cheap. There, you know, we have to learn them, but there's there are known paths now, and it, you know, you have to have quality content. But for example, uh, if you want to write a book, write a book, start blogging. Um, one of the, one of the experiments, the other experiments I'm doing is I'm live blogging my next book for an audience, mm-hmm. and uh, actually, since I'm self-publishing the next book. Uh, the audience pays a fee to participate, and I'm sharing lots of technical things about self-publishing and writing, but it's a way to raise what I would have gotten as an advance had I worked with a publisher. Mm-hmm. So, And it's just an experiment. How will it work out? I don't know. It's absolutely terrifying to do the work right in front of an audience, mm-hmm. but everyone there is really wanting to be there, and it's an incredibly supportive community and it's, and it's, and it's helping me experiment with that other vulnerability experiment around connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and does it help um, not go watch TV when it's live blogging right there? <laughs> you kind of have to write, don't you? I'm writing and posting <laughs> updates. Yeah. You know, and, and the thing is, um, yeah, I don't, I don't have a TV, but I do, now we can watch TV online. Mm-hmm. So there's that. When I was, um, yeah, so TV isn't like so much of an issue, actually. It's, um, 
you know, I kind of fit it in recreationally. I feel like that's no problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. So, so wh- how is your life in business in comparison to what you thought you were going to be doing? Mm. You know, I'm doing what I thought I would be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to think of comparison. My comparisons, um, well, I think my, what I thought I might be doing doesn't have so much to do with business, but it's more personal. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I'm single and I thought, I always thought I would be married and have a family, <laughs> even as an artist, like one thing I really admire is women who do all that, mm-hmm. you know, creative women who also have kids and husbands and all that. But for whatever reason, my trajectory didn't go that way or whatever, and at least not yet. But, um, but you know, things are not what I expected in a certain way, like mostly in that regard. Um, but there's also other things that have happened that, I think one of the things that I didn't expect, uh, it's kind of going to sound paradoxical, paradoxical, but I didn't expect that you have to constantly keep working at staying in front of your audience. So that is something that was surprising to me and that I'm learning. I'm I'm like kind of relearning all the time. Like, okay, how do I, how am I relevant this year? How am I interesting to people this year? How is my work connecting with people who need it now versus a year ago or two years ago? That is something it's like, I think um, maybe there's this idea, like if you build an audience based on one thing you did, you'll have an audience forever. And maybe that's true for some people, but I haven't found that true for myself. Mm-hmm. But it's constantly something to keep working at. Um, and then the, the paradoxical twist side of the flip side of that is I didn't expect that so much goodness could come without any effort. Can you see? So, mm-hmm, so some of the most amazing opportunities have come by people who were aware somehow. I guess this is the benefit of like kind of pushing the boulder uphill and doing the hard work of being out there and being visible, which is very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, like getting getting to do the book, that was a publisher who contacted me. I wasn't trying to get a publisher. I knew I wanted to write a book, but I, I, I didn't do it till I had a contract to do it. And so that was something that came to me just out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I got a phone call from an acquisitions editor, you know, though that seems just like getting hit by a meteor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who, that doesn't happen very much. So um, opportunities to teach in amazing places. Um, so, the opportunities show up like, uh, you know, to bring my work to um, genocide orphans in Rwanda. You know, these are people who are now in their early teens and 20s. And it's like, will you come? Yes. 
And so these amazing opportunities um, are out there. And then it's like, okay, then we're, then it's like being prepared and poised to say yes. You know, everyone have a passport, (laughs) have your passport up to date, be ready. Mm -hmm. You never know when you could get invited to go do something. And, um, and I think I, I can't remember the quote exactly, but it's something about luck following opportunity or opportunity following luck. It's, it's, you know, it's like, can you tell the difference? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's both. And it's been both, it's both like a constant um, effort in a way to do the marketing and business because the marketplace is changing and you're changing and your clients are changing. Um, and then there are these amazing graceful moments where you're thinking, wow, how did that happen? That just seemed to happen out of nowhere. That was amazing. Um, you know, I've had emails from people saying, Hey, I'm doing this thing in Maui and I thought of you, would you like to come? And here's where we'll be staying. Here's your hotel. Mm -hmm. Wow. I love resorts. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And what is your truth about entrepreneurship? Mm. And, and when I talk about that, you know, think about the messages that are put out there to the public, right? To the mainstream. And um, some of it's the, the, get, the get rich quick or their easy success. Yeah. And, you know, the overnight success, right? We love that as Americans. Um, and what, what, you know, in the six and a half years that I've been interviewing people, there was nobody that said, oh, the next day I woke up and I was successful. And, you know, in success, what does that even mean? But, you know, so what is your truth about entrepreneurship that uh, that could maybe help my listeners? I would say if you're called into the realm of entrepreneurship, um, it's not an easy path and it's not for everybody. But if you're called to do something that you feel passionate about, um, do everything you can to put whatever structures and support and guidance in place to make that happen. Um, You can't do it alone. You can't do it off the top of your head. Um, People who are successful, quote unquote successful, and first of all, come up with your own definition of success. Mm Don't rely on what other people think is successful. You have to decide that, um, you know, one of the success definitions floating out there that I don't like very much is like, it seems like everyone's putting together packages about six-figure this and (laughs) six-figure that, six-figure everything. And, you know, in the San Francisco Bay Area, six figures is kind of middle class. So, (laughs) um, hmm. Okay, but anyway, um, or New York or something. So, but I think that that message, it's, it's meant to be shiny and attractive and hypey or something. But I think that, um, wow, what's something else that's, what's your definition of success? And for a lot of moms that I know, their definition of success is, Wow, how can I be at home with my kids and be primarily their mom? Number two, how can I earn 
money from this thing I'm passionate about anyway that I think would be useful to people? How can I make a difference? Um, how can I make money to either supplement the family income or do something like instead of commuting three hours and working full time? So they make these trade-offs of like, wow, even if I was earning half of what I was earning at my corporate job, but I'm not commuting and I'm not buying work costumes and I'm not having to go out to lunch. Wow, that's kind of equal. And I could be at home with my kids. So come up with your own map of success. What does that picture look like to you? What does that feel like to you? Um, entrepreneurship is not Donald Trump and his toupee, which is the <laughs> thing I think of when I hear the word entrepreneur. Um, yeah, the, the book title, The Creative Entrepreneur, was something my publisher and editor and I were brainstorming over in 2007. And we'd never heard those words put together before. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't like it, really. I thought, entrepreneur, all I could think of was Donald's bad hair. Um, and I'm like, ooh, but it's not that. Ugh. But anyway, it's this meme that seems to have taken off. So I think we have to define what does entrepreneurship mean to us? What does creative mean to us? And just own it. Mm -hmm. Make up your own definition and say, here's who I want to be. But it is, it is a different set of challenges than having a job, collecting a paycheck, and working for someone else. That's challenging for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a, just a different kind of challenge to work for yourself. Um, Thank you for sharing that because just as there's that six-figure myth or overnight success, there's the, oh, well, I don't want to have to go and work for the man and I'm going to have an easier path being an entrepreneur. There's that message out there too. And what you're, sh what you're sharing with the listeners is that there are difficulties working for the man, quote unquote, <laughs> as there are difficulties working for yourself and they're different struggles. Yeah, they're just different struggles. And it's a matter of which struggle feels more like you. That's a really good question for people to ask themselves. Yeah, it's, you know, really entrepreneurship isn't for everyone. There are, there are people I would say, you know, I don't know, you know, especially if they say, wow, how could I replace my job as an attorney with doing art workshops like you're doing? And I'm saying, you know, don't do that. If that's the goal, <laughs> you're not, you know, I don't think you're going to. <laughs> that is a hard way to make a living, just teaching workshops. And I, I think a lot of people don't want to hear that. But I've taught my own workshops. I've facilitated other workshops. Um, I've been doing them since the mid-90s for the public and for corporations. And workshop income is just one line item. There has to be other things as well. Um, but unless you're Tony Robbins, you're not making a living at doing workshops. Mm -hmm. So just know like that's something to do if you love to do it. Um, but it's, I've never seen that be a 100% sustainable path for people in this creative entrepreneur space. They have other income streams. Well, and you, you've used this word quite a bit in the interview and I love it. And you keep saying the word sustainable. Oh. <laughs> and that's one of my, cause I, you know, I think about, it's not about the overnight success for me. It's about how can you be sustainable in whatever thing that you're choosing to do. Um, and that's a big premise of the show is that what's sustainable instead of, oh, just the quick fix, right? 
Yeah. And so I love how you talk about, you know, looking at entrepreneurship and what can you do that's sustainable and okay, maybe workshops is a line item, but what are other things that you can do to create a sustainable living for yourself? And I hope my listeners can really take that away from our interview today is that sustainability piece, not that, oh, here's this one workshop I did like you did many years ago where you made more money in that workshop than you did in the whole month of that other contract. Mm -hmm. But that was one piece on this journey that you have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I don't even realize that I'm saying the word sustainable. I'm glad you pointed that out. I think that comes just from being so deeply rooted, if you will, to use another environmental metaphor. Mm -hmm. But just being rooted in uh, the idea of managing our resources You know, the planet has resources, and we have finite resources. That's a premise of economics. How do you manage scarce resources? It's not meant to be negative, but there are limits to energy, to our time, to our money, Um, and those can be really, really valuable if we sort of turn it around and say, wow, how how are my resource limits actually something I can use to help me move forward? But um, I think, you know, another premise out there going is just like positive thinking is going (laughs) to do it all for me. And I can't think about anything. I can't use the word scarcity, for example. Well, then use a different word. But um, just, just like having a list in front of you, what are my resources? You know, time, money, energy, uh, family support, uh, where I'm located, you know. Um, what, what are the resources that support you? And then what are those parameters? What are the limits on them? And then how do you use them? How are you going to choose to spend your limited resources? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think, you know, it depends on how you look at scarcity, right? Because yeah, there's the whole idea of scarcity mindset. But when you realize that there are boundaries, right? There is only so much and especially time, I think time is probably yeah. the most scarce resource over yeah. money because yeah. what we, we don't get tomorrow or yesterday back. We can't, it, we can't right. go backwards. So you have this time, what are you going to do with it? What choices are you going to make with it? And I think that's an important thing for people to realize is that, okay, you have it, their boundaries. And that's when I, when I hear you talk about scarcity, I don't think of it as a scarcity mindset of as more as, okay, here's certain boundaries that you have. What choices do you want to make? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the scarce resources just comes out of economics. It's not really my word, mm-hmm. uh, but that's how they look at it. Economics is managing scarce resources. So the idea that, yeah, there are limits on things. So what are we going to do with what we've got? And I think that's a mantra. Like, here's what I got. And I would say, focus on what you've got. You've got assets. What are they? Focus on them. Make them work for you. And don't worry about what you don't have yet. Um, Just focus on what you're building. Focus on the assets you do have. If you have someone in your life who loves you and is saying, go for it. And um, even if they're not people you know personally, maybe they're your online friends who will say, yeah, go. That's a resource. Mm-hmm. That's huge. We all need that. We need that love and kindness and support, um, especially on those not-so-fresh days. <laughs> <laughs> 
when we're feeling like, oh, that who am I voice comes. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, know what your resources are and, you know, celebrate them, um, grow them. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I think that, you know, when you're looking at, okay, when there's a finite amount right? Of whatever it is that you have, you're not looking at it of, oh no, this is all that I have. You're looking at it from a place, and I hate this word, but of abundance, right? It's like, okay, this is what I can do, or this is what I have. Just like the mommy entrepreneurs who may say, okay, I have 90 minutes. What can I get done in 90 minutes? Mm -hmm. Right? And they're probably going to be a lot more productive than if they go, oh, I only have 90 minutes. And what can you really do in 90 minutes? And it takes me all this time to set things up that person's probably going to get more in their way and not get as much done as the person that goes, wow, I have 90 minutes. Isn't this incredible? Right. And I would say too, just to speak the truth (laughs) about financial limitations, if you look at your bank account, I know the pain of this. So if you look at your bank account, if I look at my bank account and go, holy crap, that's all that's in there. Oh my God. (laughs) Then you can sort of, cry or dwell on that for a while. But then the entrepreneur will say, so I've got, you know, three weeks to the end of the month. What am I going to do? Time to put on that song, do the hustle and dial for dollars. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's what we do, you know? Um, And, you know, yes, you're going to have the emotional hit of your reality and then you can decide what you're going to do about it. Lisa, I really appreciate that honesty, right? Because it's not this, oh, positive thinking or kumbaya. It's, okay, here's the reality. And I can be in that moment of fear or negative thinking, right? Mm-hmm. Go through that process. And then now let's put my feet on the ground. And what can I do? What can I go and do that can create the results that I want? And that's very yeah. pragmatic. Very pragmatic. And if you have some, uh, even one person or a few people that you can just tell the truth to and say, holy God, I'm so scared. I quit my job. I made the leap. Here I am. Here's what's in my bank account. Hmm. You know, and I've found that, you know, of course you're doing that with people that love and are kind. They're not going to say, well, go back and get your job. You don't, (laughs) you know. You don't probably say it to your partner if that makes them scared, but you say it to someone who doesn't have a financial vested interest. Mm -hmm. But I've found that those kind of conversations, and again, it's a vulnerability experiment, those kind of conversations only open doors. Say more. Um, Well, I'll give an example personally. So I have a bunch of conferences and things coming up in the future, and I wanted to make a reservation on Airbnb for uh, something coming up in July. And Airbnb, I wanted to stay in Airbnb, more intimate experience. The hotels are already booked anyway. And Airbnb is less expensive. And I thought, you know, I want to stay in a house with other people because if I'm in a hotel room by myself, assuming there were any, I kind of tend to isolate and get sort of weird. So anyway, I'm like, I'm going to make myself mingle and be around other people. And Airbnb required, and it's like I want to rent something for a week, and Airbnb requires you to pay the whole amount up front, 
instead of like a hotel where you make a reservation and maybe you pay for one night on your credit card, but you're not charged until you actually go. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that. And I thought, wow, a whole week's lodging. And I have several months of other expenses in front of that. And I thought, wow, if I pay that week's lodging right now, that's going to take away from the more immediate bills being paid. And I told this to somebody, a colleague who, um, who knows about that conference and we were talking about doing a workshop together. And I said, yeah, and I, and she's a money person. So I was talking to her about finance and personal finance and uh, I said, yeah, I've, I've been doing this cash-only experiment for several years, and I'm planning to come, but I don't have my hotel yet because I just haven't put the money down for it. And you know what? She said, you know what? I'd love it if you stayed with me. Wow. So she's in this town. I hadn't quite totally put that together in my head at all. She said, stay, stay at my place, and I'll help you get around. And it's like an even better solution than... Not, not just the financial part. That's just like a gift. But mm-hmm. getting to hang out with her and mingle with her people. And I love that. And I actually host people a lot in my space. I have a space in Mexico, space in the San Francisco Bay Area. I have someone, actually, I'm going to the airport after this to pick someone up. She's coming for a week uh, for like an extended art date. I have workshops here. I invite people to stay here. And I love that. That's even better. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean by... If I had been too shy to say, geez, I haven't bought my hotel because I don't want to plunk down the money for it yet, that opportunity wouldn't have appeared. Mm-hmm. And I also didn't share it for any particular reason. It's just my vulnerability experiment. Here I am talking with a money expert and saying, you know, what I think would be helpful for creative entrepreneurs like me and my audience is if we had some ideas and tools to manage um, variable cash flow. So we don't have paychecks. We're kind of, we don't know from month to month what we're going to have necessarily. We can guesstimate, but it's always sometimes really different. So it was in the context of that conversation. You know, well, I love that because uh, Brene Brown, who's been a frequent guest on my show and she's a vulnerability researcher, she talks about how when you're vulnerable, you share it with people that have earned the right to hear it. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think sometimes we take authenticity and think, oh, I just need to be authentic and I need to go tell everybody. But what she says is that when you, you know, you're opening up your heart and you're sharing, you know, things that can actually bring shame and money can bring a lot of shame for people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but with somebody that, you know, that can hold that space. Right. And, and that's where I think it can be harder, even with, with a partner or husband or a wife, when, you know, maybe you leave your job. And you say, oh, my gosh, I'm not quite sure I'm going to be able to bring in this money. They have their own fears, too. Of course. And, and it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that the marriage or the partnership isn't rock solid. They just have their own fears. So maybe you need to go and find somebody else who's earned the right to hear the story who can hold that space for you. And so when you talk, when you share the story about this, this woman who is this personal finance person, right, mm-hmm. and you share, you're willing to be vulnerable, but you must have had uh past evidence that showed, okay, this person is a safe person. She's Mm -hmm. not going to judge me. Right. And I'm just going to be open about it. And then look what happened when you were willing to be open. Exactly. And in a way, um, 
she could have judged me or could have, I, I mean, I'm, I'm putting that at risk. Like maybe mm-hmm. saying that is going to be offensive, but I, I don't know. I felt pretty confident since we were talking about cash flow and, and mm-hmm. finance that that was an appropriate yeah. context to share that. Um, and now I've just shared it with who knows how many people <laughs> on her show. <laughs> but, but that's really the truth about entrepreneurship, right? There's not yeah. that paycheck that comes in every two weeks or every month oh. that you just know. I mean, I was a tenured college professor, right? Mm-hmm. I knew what my salary was going to be this year and in future years. And I can even figure out what my pension would be mm-hmm. in 30 years, right? Ah, oh, I yes. love that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, so I, 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 and then I'd left that. And, wow. um, and to not, to not know it's incredible because I, I believe entrepreneurship is amazing personal development experience. Uh-huh. Exactly. Because <laughs> yeah. your feet are on the fire, right? And so to speak. Yes. Yes. So, but I do appreciate, you know, and thank you for sharing that because I think that's, again, the truth about entrepreneurship is that there is going to be this flow of, you know, of, of, of funding. And again, it's not permanent, right? So if there is a dip, it doesn't mean it has to be permanent. I think sometimes people... And you can tell me where I'm wrong, but I think people will go, oh my gosh, the cash flow is not as great as it once was. That means this is no longer for me. And mm-hmm. I and I believe it's not permanent. Maybe you need to revisit, just like you had talked about earlier about, oh, I need to be in my audience more. I need to figure out, okay, what's relevant to them today versus mm-hmm. last year mm-hmm. instead of thinking, oh, I've got a fan for life. Right. I mean, I think we do have fans for life, but they might not make up, there's that word again, a sustainable business, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And the the thing about cash flowing right now is I think that's a very relevant topic for people um, because myself and many people are experiencing the cash flow not being the same as it was a few years ago or even if they're doing the same thing as they're doing now it's not getting the same results Mm -hmm. you know it's variable and it's very interesting to see wow I wonder what factors are feeding into this it could be our own factors but there are certainly there's certainly an economic climate in the U.S. that that's also transferred to the world because I remember in 09 uh, the summer of 09 we were deep in the beginnings of this national recession in the U.S. And I had gone to Europe for a month and a half and was traveling around Spain and France. And I thought, wow, everything's cool here. Everyone's going out to eat. Like all the restaurants are packed. You have no idea that the U.S. is having a recession. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't see many Americans there, but it was just very interesting to kind of get out of the country and see what's happening now. Of course, there's a Euro crisis later. Mm -hmm. So now this is kind of a global thing, and I think it's affecting people subconsciously on many levels, even if it's not affecting them personally. But there's a different uh, buying culture, some kind of, um, there's something different. I can't put my finger on it, but again, it's part of these experiments and having discussions with people and saying, wow, how are your workshops filling? Um, Mine aren't filling how they used to. Mm -hmm wonder what that is all about or wow that one totally sold out wonder why maybe mm-hmm. I hit on something or maybe it was just the right timing or maybe it was because it was online but thank you so much for being a guest today 
on my show. It's been a pleasure to talk with you on the air and share your experience with my listeners. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And for those of you listening, I will have links on my website at howshereallydoesit.com back to Lisa and also to the programs that she offers. Thanks for joining us at How She Really Does It. Each week, I try to bring inspiration, empowerment, and entertainment for you. Each show has a takeaway, something you can implement to take those steps forward in your own journey. I'd love to hear from you. You can connect with me at my website at www.howshereallydoesit.com and sign up for my weekly newsletter to get insider information as well as each podcast delivered directly into your inbox. Have a great day and I'm smiling big for you. Early morning, fog is lifting. She's in a rowboat on a lake. She is dreaming. She is drifting, never been so. Sold-